as we continue on, um, I would say in our journey with Jesus, as he unfolds the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been working, I think it's been two or three weeks, this may be our third week in regards to verses 17 through 20 in regards to Jesus and the law. We'll read that passage once again today, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, no, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. May God add a special blessing the reading of his word, and let's once again bow for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we come before you today with humility. We come before you with thanksgiving. Father, there's so much for us to be thankful for in regards to all of the work that you even set in motion before you made anything. You determined before the foundation of the world that you would choose us in Christ. That Christ would accomplish everything necessary to regain what was lost. Even before it was lost, you determined that that's the way you would accomplish it. Father, we also ask in the sense of just working in our hearts and lives today, that we would be softened to your will. We would be open to receiving everything that would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking the initiative to conform us to the image of your son, which is literally your purpose in saving us. Father, we would ask that you would be with each one that has come out this afternoon, we pray for them, their families, Father, that you would lift them up, that relationally they would become closer each moment to you. Father, we'll ask now that this time will be used appropriately for us to gain insights, to receive encouragement, and Father, for us to actively engage in being the instruments that you so, so vibrantly want to use. Father, we pray for your blessing upon this, this part of the service. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher. Father, forgive our sins and our shortcomings, those things that are keeping us at distance from full fellowship and full engagement of what you would desire for us. Father, we pray for our world today. We lift it up to you, knowing that the war that continues to plague us between good and evil. Father, we know at the end, there's no question that you ultimately are the victorious, triumphant, supreme, omnipotent God. It is awesome and in every way, victorious. It's to you we bow at your feet, looking with anticipation for what you'll give to us in these moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, those four verses that we read, um, the, the timing and the placement of it in regards to Jesus' message to those gathered on that 
that place where he was on the side of the hill speaking to them, a massive amount of people. And he, first of all, would have blown their minds by telling them how to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we found those in verses 3 through 12. And we'll continue to re that, that's That really brings everything together because it was totally antithetical to what anyone would have believed coming to that meeting, to that, that speech that Jesus unfolded. Everything that he said would have been just plain weird. Why would he say stuff like that? And and sitting there in the crowd as well would have been those religious leaders, of which he makes note of. Verse 20 is the the verse we're going to work on today. Uh, And thinking of the, what shall we say, the the insights or the overarching thought processes of the people in regards to the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, there were two people, if you were going to ask a typical Jew, there would be two people that would make it to heaven. One would be a scribe and one would be a Pharisee. The rest of it was debatable. And here, yeah, just, just quickly again, verse 20, uh, I want you to keep this in your mind, Jesus saying, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That would have taken and blown everyone out of the water. It was like, we have no chance. We have no chance. He talked about them being salt and light. And then I would say after that, early on, he wants to make sure that they understand that he's not trying to destroy the law. He's not trying to thwart it. He's not trying to abrogate it. That literally he has come, as he said, to fulfill it. There were th- four things uh, that in regards to those things, in regards to the law. The preeminence, that was in verse 17, that it was first. It was God authored it, the prophets reiterated it, and Jesus accomplished it. That was the sense of its preeminence. It was first and foremost. And then it's permanence. He said that heaven and earth would pass without one jaw or one tittle. We talked about that. Just the smallest apostrophe or just that one little extension that would make a difference between one letter and another. None of that would change until the complete fulfillment of it. And then last week we looked at the pertinence of it. That it does apply because of all of the power that is in its preemptive work that God had laid it into position. And today we would like to look at its purpose at its purpose. Some of it will be uh, a bit of review, but it also lays out, I think, in Jesus' speech, if you will, his inaugural address, we've mentioned that a number of times, that he didn't want to get the wrong impression as being this revolutionary that had come to change everything, but literally to fulfill everything. So one of the things are that, from that verse, how do you get to heaven? Have you ever asked anyone that question? How do you get to heaven? A lot of different answers, isn't it? In fact, if, we, if you were going to poll, or, or I shouldn't even say poll, but let's just say downtown Sheridan or Twin Bridges or anywhere in America or across the world, if you were to ask that question, how do you get to heaven? What do you think would be the answers, a potential answer? This is... Does anyone know my eraser is for my board? I imagine it's probably in the possession of the one that did that stuff, right? Oh, was it? Was it the? Did you? Did you guys put this together? All right. Well, anyway, those of you who aren't here in attendance, uh, our our the whiteboard, which I love to have ready to go, is not so ready to go right now. It's 
It's got some scribbling on it. But at any rate, if someone recognizes where a racer might be, we might clean it up. At any rate, so let's come back to our question. How do you get to heaven? Stairway. Excuse me? Stairway. Stay away? Stairway. Stairway. Okay. I was, I was thinking, at first, yeah, thank you, Bill, for clarifying. I thought, stay away. And I'm thinking, we've got a problem here. Well, we need to work with you. We, you're, let's, let's, would you guys just hold up for just a little bit? I'm going to talk with Bill over here. No, no, we want you to go to heaven. We don't want to stay away. But it was a stairway. Okay, a stairway. Yeah, very good. A stairway. And how do you get on the stairway? Uh, that, I heard it two times. You have to be good. Well, how good? Real good. How much good is real good? Better than your neighbor. That's a good answer. Now, it can kind of go from being good. Well, how good? Well, very good. How good is very good? Well, very, very good. <laughs> so what's the standard? And I think... I think it was, Leslie, I think you said, as long as you're better than your neighbor. And that literally was, that would be an externalist viewpoint, wouldn't it? It would be almost the sense of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. In other words, yourself makes up the laws or the standards for righteousness. That sounds like a great system, doesn't it? In other words, how many are in this room today? Uh, every one of you would have your own perspective or platform or standard for what it would take to get into heaven. And obviously, your level would be good enough if it's left to ourselves to determine, correct? Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? Bill, again, I'm so sorry. I thought you weren't going, but we, you, you clarified that for me. But, but isn't it interesting that the perspective that we have, we would make it. <laughs> and, right? Everyone's going to make it. No, they're not, are they? No. But again, we're coming back to the, to the sense of the response we would get if we asked, how do you get to heaven? That's right. We, we, That's what everybody thinks. Good. And how good is good? How good do you have to, How good is good? I think good is different to some people. In other words, the definition of good to someone would be different from someone else. Yes. Correct? So is that good enough? No. It's not good enough, is it? Because we can't know. We can't know. I what, what? Every week. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. See that? Did you see the good? I said that, that was I a good once one. Once a year. Once a year. That's what I so is that good enough? That's what she said. And see, some, it was interesting. Somebody, so none of you wanted to move because you didn't want to get accused of anything. Most of you said no. And the question, well, why not? To someone that would be good enough. See, that's coming and coming back is tying in because they just hit me like a ton of bricks again. That's what's wrong with America today is we lost a sense of absolute truth. Reality matters and truth matters. And absolute truth absolutely matters because I want to know. I don't want to guess. I don't want to guess. So how does one get to heaven? Now, Jesus said something that is, again, I, want to, I, I, can't even, I can't even give to you how impressive this would have been in a statement that would have blown the minds of everyone there. He said this. He said, unless your righteousness, your goodness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not get to heaven. There must have been drop-dead silence and shock and awe in that audience. Then none of us are going to make it. 
because that was the perception. Now, I want to tell you something else. Those that are living on the edge of self-righteousness, and again, sometimes we just say self-righteousness. There's something that comes to you, or in my mind, is it's just that person that's haughty, that's a little better than, but the thing that's really important is self. Self made the difference. Self made the rules. Self set it up. And that's what Jesus is really saying. That self-righteous attitude is totally abhorrent to God's way of thinking. I think it might help us. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 18. As, as you're turning there, what we want to do now is some questions we're going to ask ourselves today. We want to make sure we understand who the scribes and Pharisees are because he said that you must have, you must exceed their righteousness. So let's get a picture. This will give us a picture of who they are and how they think. Luke, excuse me? That's exactly right. In fact, let's watch him in action. Let's go to Luke chapter 18 and let's see what Jesus describes for us in regards to a, a, a parable. He says, we'll start in verse 9. Uh, Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Who would that be? That would be Pharisees, wouldn't it? Ones that trusted themselves. Do you know anyone in America that trusts in themselves? This would be a good passage, and does this not sound right? He's giving this parable to those that trusted in themselves. And I say, let's pay attention. This could be really interesting. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. The other, a publican. Now, what do you know about publicans? Let's stop for a moment. They would have been on totally different spectrums. The Pharisee would have been the one that would have been on his own platform that he would have built, probably with his own money, doing his own thing, beating his own nails, and making higher and taller than anyone else. Because it's all about self. That's the Pharisee. We'll come back to him in a moment. And then there's the publican. Do you know what would have been the most despised, the most looked down, the most despicable Jew that there ever would have been in that day and age? you know what he, what he did for a living? He was a tax collector. Now, you think of, when I say tax, you think IRS. It's, it's even worse. Because a tax collector that was a Jew, that meant he worked for the Romans... And was exacting taxes on his home people for a foreign government. That was, that's, that's a traitor. That's treasonous. That would be probably the description of this publican, this tax collector. So we have two very, very different men that are arriving at the temple. How will they act? Well, let's watch. The Pharisee stood up. Of course he stood. And prayed thus with himself. Does that not sound appropriate? He's praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Did you see? He, he knew him. Did you, did you catch that? I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, now, if any of you kept track in the, in the Jewish uh, I'm going to say the religion or the ceremonially, that it was required for Jews to fast once a year. So just think what this guy's doing. It's twice a week. So he's like 104 times better than the average Joe. And he's counting. Did you see he's using his board and he's writing this down, isn't he? The thing that I find remarkable is that even in the place that he's praying, did, did you, I just saw that really even, it just stuck out of me right now. Who's he praying to? Himself. <laughs> Did you see it? 
It's not even about God. He has set the standards himself. And this publican, this tax collector that's in, I mean, it's, it's, it's very awkward for that guy to even be here because he's really taking away from the presence of the Pharisee himself. Woof. Have you met anyone like that? Everybody's afraid to raise their hand. There's actually quite a few. But let's watch now. Here's the publican, verse 13. The publican, a standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Keep track of that word. Justified rather than the other. Why? For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, um, some, something about truth that's a misnomer today is, would you say anyone that believes whatever they believe is sincere? More than likely, at least from their own perspective, they would believe that they're being very sincere. Otherwise, they wouldn't take a belief. For you to believe something would mean that you are sincere. Would you say that the Pharisee was sincere? This isn't a trick question. You, you got, you're trying to nod, and you're not sure if you should. Absolutely. Extremely sincere. He's actually belligerently sincere about who he is. I'm going to introduce you to another Pharisee that was incredibly sincere and lived to a level that of pharisaicalism, I don't even know if that's a word, but I think you know where I'm going with it, okay? Was the publican sincere? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Very sincere. In fact, I would think most people that have any sense of a viewpoint or belief, very honestly, are very sincere. Do you think the rioters and looters are sincere? No. They get paid, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like we should move on. This is what it sounds like, right? We should move on, okay? I'm going to say this. They're sincere enough to show up. Well, if you get paid $1,000, would you show up? Is, are they sincerely taking the money? Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I see sincerely almost everywhere in our, in our country. But well, the point is this. They can be sincerely wrong. Our Pharisee is sincerely wrong. Amen. That's exactly. In fact, truth, truth. This is this is maybe the bottom line. Truth has, and I'm talking about absolute truth, has absolutely nothing to do with individual sincerity. <coughs> that doesn't make truth real. It doesn't make it true. Sincerity does not make an ounce of difference well, in reality, that. right? Yeah, I can use that. Sincerity has nothing to do with ultimate truth. Now. Well, we're still, we're still, who, who are the Pharisees? Who are the scribes? Now, let's go back to our text in Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. Matthew chapter 5, and let's take a look once more time at verse 20. It says, For I, Jesus, say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Tell me what the difference between a scribe and a Pharisee is. Is there, and, and let's just describe them. We, we won't go into a long exhortation, but, but let's work on it for a little bit. Who's a scribe? What does a scribe do? They, they, could, they could range in some sense. They're very, very much, uh, in, in this case, 
a religious scribe, now there were two, you could have a civil scribe, that's where their duties revolve more around governmental duties, but it would be to, you know, where you could just flip something in and get a copy machine. They didn't have those back then, okay? You didn't get to pop that in the copy machine. You popped it into a scribe's hands, and he would redo that passage of scripture, say. They were in the, now I'm talking a religious scribe now for a moment. The civil ones, they would do the governmental stuff, okay? The religious scribes would very be very, very studious about the Old Testament, those writings, and they would copy them. They were immersed. They, that was their job. That was their task. That was their career. And obviously, they would have been looked at very highly. But, but the, the point is, it was actually a job. It was a position to be a scribe. Now, if you went to Ezra chapter 4, verse 8, you might write it down if you'd like. You, you're introduced to one there. There's actually a scribe by the name of Shimshai, I believe his name is. And, and he is a scribe. Okay, But very dutifully copying the law with a great deal of... I'm, I'm, these guys were perfectionists, and they needed to be. They needed to be. Okay, Tell me about a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? We just met, Jesus kind of introduced us to one in Luke chapter 18. What do you know about a Pharisee? They were ruling class. They, they were, and again, had a religious slant to them, but it would be almost like a party. They were a sect, S-E-C-T. There was a, couple, there was a number of sects. There were the zealots, and those people hated the Romans. They would, they would kill Romans if they had the opportunity because they were a part of the revolution. They were, if, if you were, the, um, I'm going to, what's, what's the right word? The, the resistance or the, ah, I can't, I can't, anyway, it, it, they, they would be revolutionaries. We'll just say it that. They're trying to break the power of the Romans. That's a, that was a sect, and, and you could belong to it. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to say? Even in America today, we would have these kind of functions or these uh, parties or these sects that would be very, unitized between themselves, but they would stick out amongst others. Uh, Republicans and Democrats becoming more polarized between them all the time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were kind of like that. There was almost left-wing, right-wing. Very different, and a sect or a party alignment. They had, yes? They, the Pharisees, speaking of them, they interpreted the law. And they were very stringent in the way they interpreted the law. In fact, they added oral traditions to it. The Sadducees, they only recognized five, the, the five books that Moses wrote. Those, those, that, was the, that was the law. That was there. Anything else was in addition to it. Now, the Sadducees, another thing that separated them was the fact that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in spirits. Pharisees did. So you see, there was always some sense of conflict. If you remember, in Acts, Paul used that. He knew how they both were, and, and Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he could take those two groups that were coming united against him, and by the end of just a few sentences, he had split that group. Do you see the partisanship that was even back then? The Pharisees, though, they also had a lot of confidence in oral traditions. And, and you can see from this gentleman, uh, the one that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 18, they liked to make up rules that they could keep. It's a lot better law system and a system if we can produce laws and ordinances that we can keep. It makes us look better on our shelf list that we can write on a board that we've had those additions. And, and Pharisees were big about making new laws. They loved to look good. What else could we say about them?
Yeah, and, and there was this constant rivalry between those two. Now, it is interesting that Jesus, did you see what he said? Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Sadducees? No, Pharisees. I think it's interesting that it's absent. But nonetheless, again, if you were going to ask the general population, who goes to heaven? It really would have been thought, well, scribes and Pharisees. So Jesus has taken that, he's just drop-kicked it and said, unless you're better than those, you're not going. <sighs> yes. Pretty much that's what he said. <laughs> because, now again, again, now he's taking, he's taking the typical ideology of scribes and Pharisees, and he's saying that ideology is not going to get you to heaven. Why? One of the things that we haven't touched on yet, so far today, but if, when, when I hear the word Pharisee, one of the things that just continues to pop out of me because of what Jesus, how he taught, and how he literally went right to the crux of the matter, he always poked out, or stu it stuck out to him, or he made it stick out to them, that's a better way to put it, that they were externalists. They wanted to look good. They wanted to have everything appear to be that they were sanctimonious, religious, they loved religion. How many people do you know today that love religion? Oh, it's all over the place. See, it's the same. The Pharisaicalism, I don't even, I should look that up and see if that's a word. It sounds cool, but I don't think it is. But anyway, to follow that logic, that, that thinking, literally, it's, it's everyday America. Those that are seeking to get to God by their standards. When's the last day? Uh, let's, let's talk about this. This is a good time. I'm going to pop it. We'll maybe mention it one more time. I said, there's an analogy I want to get. So we're looking at entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's what this, that's what this verse is about. And he's saying, oh, unless it's better than the Pharisees and, and the scribes, you're not going. <gasps> okay. When's the last time you guys went to, uh, let's say, a ball game, a sporting event? Apparently a very long time ago. There's not yeah. one hand that's went up. So let's, let's assume that you went to one in your, in your lifetime. Has anyone... Has everyone went to some sense? Oh boy, this is a tough crowd. I gotta believe that most of you have went to something of which they charged an admission ticket. Has anybody went somewhere where there was a ticket price? Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting. How about that? All right, here we go. Okay, so so this is how it must have worked then. You walked in, and let's just make it just let's just make it a basketball game. Okay, how good how good you want to be? Like high school, you want to be college, you want to be pro. Let's make it high school. It's more fun to watch, right? Okay. So you walk up to the, to the door, and amazingly, there's someone there that stops you from getting in. That's called a ticket salesman or person, right? They're, see, what they're wanting to do, no, you can't go in here because there's a price of admission to get to watch this, to be inside of this, correct? Okay. Now, is it up to everyone that walks? Well, you know, I've walked. these two teams are bad. They're really bad. In fact, you should pay me to come in and watch. <laughs> but apparently, someone has, made, has went through the math, and they said to get into this game, it's going to cost you five bucks a person. Correct? Well, you have to. Come on. This is, I'm making the story up. You have to follow along, right? Okay, so it's five bucks. You walk in, you say, well, I've only got two. And that person says, oh, that's good enough. Come on in. Stop me. No, they wouldn't do that. Or you could say, it's really only worth two bucks to watch these players. <laughs> it really is. And what does that person say? Taking tickets. No, that's not the way it works here. 
the price is set. You need to pay five bucks or you don't get to go in. That's how it is in heaven. God sets the standard. It's not up to us. It's not up to anyone else. God sets the standard. You know, that standard is really high. You talked about most people would say you've got to be good. And then when you press, well, really good. How good? How, how good is really good? Well, uh, really, really good. God says it's even more than that. He says it's perfect. It's perfect. Perfect. How many of you are perfect right here, right here today? How do you know you're... This is, this is really important because this is what Jesus was trying to get at. This is what he's really trying to get at. We read how, that, how the uh, Pharisee was thinking. He was thinking about his perspective. I fast twice a week. I tithe. I'm a lot better than that publican. And thank goodness I'm not like the extortioner or the adulterer. What had he done? He had set his standards in place. He had set admission. He's coming to God and said, this is the way it works for me and you. I'm in charge here. Where did that come from? The Garden of Eden. Right? Self is so easily defined and where it came from. We want to be like God. That was, that was the, law, the, the lie that Satan sold. You want to be like God? You do this. And it's been working good, hasn't it? Sells itself. You know what's behind the rioters and the looters? Self. You guys are too tight. You just need to loosen up here a little bit. It's good. It's all good. It's all good. But we don't set the price. We don't set the admission. We don't set the standard for how one gets into heaven. And Jesus said, the Pharisees and scribes don't either. In fact, their standard is so low the law that I've come to fulfill, they have reduced it. See, they were actually in the crowd saying, listen to this guy. He's not even on the same page. I bet he's going to try to change the law. And Jesus, early on in this Sermon on the Mount, says, I want you to see very clearly that the Old Testament law is preeminent, it's permanent, it's pertinent, and it's purposeful. And that's what he's talking about today. You know, the purpose of the law is literally to show us that you can't make it. God wants perfection, and you know what? There's not a perfect person in this room except me. No, that was a lie, wasn't it? <laughs> Boy, there is laughter going on here, right? Well, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, that was the truth, and it's a lie. Absolutely. But isn't that crazy? It would, and it's ludicrous for me to say it. It just sounds so weird to even say something of that. Well, of course it is. It's wrong. But God still, nonetheless, has said, it is perfection. So how do we do that? How do you know then? How do you know that you're not perfect? Excuse me? Oh, your wife told you? No, no, that's not. <laughs> the word. And, 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 what, and what's about the word? What is it about the word? Jesus. He said we live in a cursed world. And Jesus fulfilled what? The law. It was the law that made you know that you weren't perfect. That's why the Pharisees wanted to make their own system and they made their own rules and their own laws so that they could keep them so they looked okay within their own system. That's not the way God works. He made the law. And we fail. So, you guys, how about Pharisees? Are you guys okay with the scribes and Pharisees, who they were? And we, could, and we could name names today, can't we? We won't, we won't do that here right now. But Jesus, would have, he could have said, he could have picked a couple of sects. He could have picked a couple of cults. And he said, unless your righteousness is further than these that are traveling around, taking and making their way, shall we say, earning brownie points to get to heaven. We know who they are. 
and you're not going to make it. It's not going to work. It is. It's horrible, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. Really trusting in themselves. Let's go and let's think about for a moment what was these Pharisees' nature of righteousness? What made what was about that they trusted in? Let's take a look at that first of all. Now we said the word just not very minute, very long ago. Their religion, their righteous. Let's say righteous. Their righteousness was very external, very external. In fact, let's take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter twenty-three for a moment. Let's watch what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter twenty-three and verse twenty-five. Matthew chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-five. Now it's interesting. This is just a side note for those of you that like things. Uh, how many, uh, how many blesseds were there in Matthew chapter five, verses three through twelve? How many was there? There was, there was, there was more than one and less than ten, right? So there was how many? Was there seven? seven? There was eight. Eight, eight blesseds. Eight blesseds. Now, it's been several weeks ago, we went and talked about where Jesus, literally, he was, he was ministering, he was preaching, he was talking to the Jews, uh, not exclusively, but that was his focus. And then all of a sudden, at the end of chapter 23 of Matthew, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would, as a mother hen, would have gathered my chicks, but you would not. And at that point, there was a separation. But just verses before that, in chapter 23 of Matthew, we're going to go there in a moment. We're going to look at one of them. Do you know how many woes, W-O-E, woes there are? Eight. As there was eight blesseds, there are eight woes that literally at that point Jesus said, you're not going to see me until my coming again. Until that period of the tribulation which you'd be working exclusively with the Jews. Uh, I, I, that's not the right word either. But the Jews will be the focal point. Right now, we're living in the church age. We're living in a time of grace where literally because the Jews would not take their Messiah, they wouldn't. They refused him. Then God, in his mercy, extended grace to us. In this room here, we wouldn't be here if God wouldn't have extended his mercy and grace. Amen. We need to be thankful for the Jews to be so, you can fill it in, so human. So selfish. So, right? It's how it is without God. But God is also preserving a remnant. I love to see a Messianic Jew today. They are so on fire. They are so tuned in and there's so few of them, isn't there? But there will come a time when they will return in mass. When they will see Jesus for who he is as their Messiah. But in the meantime, we can be thankful that God's mercy is really raining down on us. The church age. We are blessed. We were blessed. I, where was I going to take you? You don't know because I didn't tell you, right? Um, oh, yeah, we were in Matthew chapter 23. There are eight woes there. That's what we talked about. Eight woes to match the eight blessings that were in chapter 5. Let's go now to verse 25. We're popping in here. At verse 24 would be a good place. Actually, what did I just tell you? 25? Yeah, let's, uh, let's start at verse 24. He's, uh, he's waking up the crowd here. Actually, he's got them going already. We're just popping in here. You blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> you camel swallowers, you. <laughs> now, one of the things that would have been... Now, if you think about this, I don't know how, how good your water is in your house. But one of the things that the Jews would have done on that day is if before you drank the water, you screened it. And in this case, you got the gnats out. Okay? The, the, 
it would be big stuff to us, but for them, it would kind of get that, that stuff off the water. But he said, you're, 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 you're picking at the gnats, and yet you're swallowing a camel. That's called the externalism versus internalism. Now, verse 25 is the one we want to look at. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the same people that he's describing in chapter 5. Hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you are full of extortion and excess. That was what their righteousness looked like. It was very external. Very external. It was to look good, to appear to be righteous. There's a second part of that nature of their righteousness was also it was partial turn back to verse 23 same chapter 23 23 he is another woe he says woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier things of the matters of the law judgment mercy and faith these ought you to have done and not to lift the other undone their sense of righteousness was very very partial turn with me to mark chapter 7 verse 7 mark 7 7 Mark 7, 7. Mark 7, 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. That was, that was something that they did. Their righteousness was based on teachings of men. Another thing we could say about the nature of the righteousness, not only was it external oriented, not only was it partial, but it was also redefined. They made up their own rules. They invented their own system that they could maintain. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 11. I want you to see God's standard as it's unfolded as the law was given. This must have been a little bit depressing to those of which Moses was giving. Everything that God had told him to get to them, as we're, it was ceremonially, the sacrificial system is becoming unfolded, unveiled, if you, say, if you will, and the law being there as the precipice, the standard for all of this ceremonial system. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Now watch this. If this wouldn't be a bit over the top, so far, let's say that you were... Now, don't read it. Are you guys reading it? Stop, don't read it. I want you to, I want you to set it up for you. You read it, didn't you? I'm sorry. Good, good, you didn't. Okay, very good. At any rate, here we go. So the Jews would have been receiving all of this stuff from Moses. You know, there's a sacrifice for this, and there's a sacrifice for that, and there's a burnt offering for this, and there's the burnt offering for that, and there's, you know... Wow, right? Would that be overwhelming? How many would you like to do that? Why was it important then? Because it showed us we couldn't do it. It took the self and exposed self for what it was. Can't get it done. Isn't that great? That's truth. Thank goodness God showed us through the law that we couldn't be what he's asking for. Look at this. Look what he describes himself. Verse 44. Let's read it. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 says this. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart, and you shall be holy. And that's not a hole in a garment. This is H-O-L-Y, holy. Let's keep going. For why? For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I, the Lord, do God, bringeth you out of the land of Egypt, be your God. I am holy. Oh, that sounds easy, smeezy, right? I mean, you could just, right, right, Bill? I mean, you just say, today's the day, I'm going to be holy. Right? Game on. And tomorrow and the next day. It's all about getting focused right. It's all about thinking right. It's all about, it's more than that, isn't it? Positive thinking. Yeah, that'll blow that apart too, won't it? Yeah. Nice try, though. Nice try. Now, by the way, it is still very important that we think. 
I was engaged in a conversation with a man on, it was either Thursday or Friday, and he was, he was really bent out of shape because of the negativity that's captured us. I mean, this COVID-19 and what it's done, just, I'm going to, thinking thing, right? I mean, it's, it's got us messed up, right? There's a whole lot of pessimism goes on. There's a whole lot of stuff that's clouded and, and infringed upon our liberties and whatever you want to say. But you know what's happening? And the word he used was the negativity. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm upset about negativity. And I let him rant and rave for a while. And then he told me how he got into this, uh, I, I perceived it to be a, a fairly escalated vocal event that he got engaged in. And he said, I'm sick of it. So he says, he, and then he finally, after he got done, he said, can you help me? I, I called you because I want to, what can I do? I said, well, let's, let's understand where you're at. You have been captured by the term I'm going to use, negativity. It owned you today. <laughs> Silence. I said, are we okay? Yeah, are we okay? He said, you're right. I said, of course. That's what happened today. You got trapped. You got set up by the very thing that you now despise. And he said, well, what can I do about it? Well, one of the things we need to do is make sure that you understand next time you get into that event, what is going to be your thinking? What are you going to displace and put in your mind that will set you up to do the right things when this negativity comes to you? So I gave him a few things. I said, tomorrow morning, which I I haven't called him back to see how it went. I said tomorrow, and he, he, he was just, you know what? He was just tired of it. Have you, have you had any days like that where you just, ah, well, sure you have. If you're not, you're not being truthful. It's the way it is, right? I said tomorrow morning is going to be a fantastic day because I said, do you get coffee? Yeah, he said, I do. I said, do you go somewhere to get it? He said, yeah, I do. I said, is there someone behind you when you get your coffee? Yeah, there usually is. I said, this will work out fantastic. You can start out tomorrow morning with a brand new, fresh, non-negativity. In fact, when you pay for your coffee, you pay for that guy behind you. And, you know, three people are going to be affected. You, the person that you pay it, and I said the chances of them putting it in your pocket and charging that guy I think are really slim because God's going to work on that person. They may even get saved. But I said in the event that they usually would do it, would do the right thing, they would tell that next person that drives up and says, you know what, that guy in front of you just paid for your coffee. I said, you talk about negativity going out the window for three people at least. I said, that's how it builds. Plus, I said, you'll be able to show your son and your wife and whoever else that's what I did today. You know what it'll do? It'll start to change the world one person at a time. Yep. He was excited for tomorrow. I haven't checked out tomorrow when. But isn't that true? So focusing is really important. It is very important how we think about things. But what Jesus is saying, if it's thought process that sets you to be the standard, you missed it. You missed it. That's what he's pointing out. Now, where did, where did we leave? Oh, I am holy. That's a great place to land, isn't it? And I want you to be holy. In fact, Peter, chapter 1, verse 15, we won't go there. Write it down in your notes. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 15 says, Be ye holy as I am holy, based on this same scripture. How many of you had a perfectly holy week? Bill? No. Did you try? Sort of. Sort of? <laughs> right. But if it was up to us, excuse me, Bob. Till Monday. Till Monday. <laughs> Early Monday in my case, right? So, so do you see? It's, it's, it's sort of depressing when you think about it, isn't it? How am I supposed to be holy? That's, by the way, that is God's entrance exam. When you walk up to the ball game, this ball game is getting into heaven. I had one guy, this is, 
I don't know why this popped in my mind, but it just did an elderly man, um, which he, he actually received Christ as Savior. I, I felt very confident. But earlier on, not too long before that, he said this. He said, I, my perception of, you know, in other words, the end of this life, and I'll do it just like I live this life. I'm going to claw and scratch and dig and fight and do anything I have to do to get where I got to go. And I, it won't work out that way. It doesn't work that way. Because you can't do that. But isn't that exactly what we're doing if we're trying to do it our way? Yeah. That's exactly right. And you know what? The law takes us to the point and you say, just like that publican, what did he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There was nothing that he could offer. There was nothing he could do. There was nothing he could bring. His game was not good enough in any way, shape, or form except literally to humbly, humbly fall before God and say, be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. Isn't that exactly what the law does to us? Especially if you think of that ceremonial law. I mean, you couldn't, you, know, you couldn't hardly do anything, and you had to go sacrifice something. And I'm not talking about just the little birds. I mean, it would be the big stuff in my case. Those red heifers would just be slipping along like one after another. Honey, let's go get another one. I messed up again. Had a bad day out at the ranch. Right? And you know what it did? It showed every single person that they fell short drastically. Perfect. That's just what, right, this, what we, we went to it last week, but Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. It was our schoolmaster, the law. That's what it did. It brought us to the sense of understanding that we were not good enough. We were not good enough. Well, not only was the Pharisees' nature of righteousness external, it was partial. They took what they wanted. It was redefined. They didn't find it to be holy as the standard. They made it up as they wanted but it was also very self-centered. They were satisfied with their, quotes, quote around their uh, righteousness. You know, one of the things that makes us, let's talk about this for a second. What is it that drives us, and I'm going to use that word sanctify. Remember what God said in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, we were there a minute ago. He says he wanted us to be sanctified. That word isn't, it means to be set apart. To be different than the rest. Headed off to a, a, a direction. You know, one of the things that makes your sanctifying walk or your, the, the walk of sanctification, you know what makes it stronger and better? This is going to sound a little bit strange. I'm not going to wait for an answer because I, are you okay with that? I'm just going to give it to you and not make you sit there and just wonder what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, there's some, yeah, that's good. Okay. You know, one of it is, is dissatisfaction. The lack, or I'm sorry, to be dissatisfied with yesterday makes you better for tomorrow. It's true. You know how football players get better? They watch films. Oh, well, I was bad there, wasn't I? You know what? And God can use those mistakes in your life. Again, truly focusing on him. It's not about you. It's not about you. I, you don't, don't get in and say, well, I did pretty good there and there. And just no, no, no. I'm talking about where you fell short. To be dissatisfied with your walk makes your walk tomorrow stronger and better. Is that not true? And do you know what a, a Pharisee, you know what their outlook was? They weren't ever dissatisfied because what, whoever they were was good enough. Do you see that today? All over the place. Because we're short of absolute truth. So, one more time to reiterate, their religion, their righteousness, let's be, let's be more candid, righteousness would have been external, partial, redefined, and literally, completely self-centered. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, a very, very common passage of Scripture to all of us, probably. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now, think about this in relationship to that Pharisee that was in the temple 
describing his thankfulness as he was talking to himself. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to actually start in verse 1. I just feel we need to start in this chapter 1 because it shows us where we were. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, are you all there? Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened, that's to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See, you weren't, you were actually literally working for the opposing force. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or citizenship in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as a... Now, are you depressed yet? You should be. But just hang on. I love the but gods. Verse 4. As bad as that could get, it says but God. Who is rich in mercy. Thank goodness he's not poor in mercy. For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Hath raised us together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. One of the things that's going to happen in eternity when us being those sinners that couldn't do it by ourselves, but we trusted Jesus Christ. You know what? We're a showpiece. We're a showcase that God is showing to the angel. I tell you, they don't really understand this. They got one shot. And to think, literally, to watch the human race, how God has extended mercy and grace to us repeatedly in some cases, to allow us to literally be his showcase to show the rest of, for eternity's time, that this is what his grace and mercy accomplished. And then let's watch. Watch this, verse 8. For by grace... Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How do you think the Pharisee is doing with those two verses? I've used that on a number of cults that are trying to sell a system. They're trying to sell religiosity. They're trying to sell a plan, program, training session that's going to get you to heaven. I said, you've got to take Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You need, to, you need to read that and tell me how that fits into your system. And you know, many of them still read it. They say, well, we've got to do our part. I said, what part didn't Jesus do there? Uh, <laughs> right? But self just wants to get in. It wants to take control. It wants to fight for self. It wants to be on top. It wants to take the preeminence. It wants to be everything, anything. And anything that self is entering in stops salvation dead in its tracks. Dead in its tracks. Absolutely. That's what pride does. Exalts what? Self. The author of pride was Satan. They knew the Bible better than we He knows the Bible, doesn't he? Exactly. Okay, let's go back now, and let's ask another question. We've all, actually, we've already asked it. What, what's the nature of the, or the standard of righteousness that God requests, or requires? is absolute holiness, perfection. I'll, let's go to 1 Samuel for a moment. Let's, let, let's look at externalism versus internalism. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're, gonna, we're introduced to a man here that was really big on the outside. In fact, he was a pretty cool-looking guy. They said he was head and shoulders above his peers. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse 7. 
And what, what happened to this man, this one that was head and shoulders, his name was Saul, right? He was this really good-looking guy. He was something else. And God rejected him because he didn't trust in God. Now he's looking for a replacement. And we're going to just dial into one verse. I apologize, but we're just going to do that. We're going to keep moving. In verse 7, what's happening is Jesse's sons are parading in front of Samuel, who is making a selection for the next king. But God is doing the selection this time. Who picked Saul, by the way? Who picked Saul? The people. The people. I heard this. This is a number of years ago. I don't know if it was when uh, Clinton was, was running for president, it was, but it was back in that era. And, and th- this is absolutely true. There were some commentators, you know, why do I need to listen to somebody tell me what I just heard from someone? That's called a TV commentator. In other words, they're telling you what you should have heard. If you, if you watch that, I don't watch those very much. But on this particular event, there was, a, there was a lady that said, he looked so presidential. You know what God would say about that? It doesn't work. That's a Pharisee. That's a Pharisee look. That's externalism. Watch what God does. Here, verse six, verse seven, chapter sixteen of First Samuel. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, uh, let's go to verse six. I'm sorry. It came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, that was the oldest son, and said, Surely, this is Samuel, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why did he say that? Why did Samuel say that? He looked so kingly. Right? He's seeing what he sees. Now watch verse seven. This is really critical. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or his outside, his height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh where? On the heart. And numerous times we find there's one man in all scripture that it said he was a man after God's own heart. That was the man that God picked right there, David. David was a sinner. At times, a loser. He was as wretched and coyote as anyone that I can think of. But you know what? He always returned to God. He had a heart after. He was a man after God's own heart. Let's put it that way. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for perfection from you. What he wants is for you to humbly bow and accept the gift of righteousness that only he can give you the holiness, the riches of righteousness that are literally a gift of God. If you're going to try to earn it, you're going to get exactly what you're trying to earn, and that is nothing. 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 How good do I have to be to get to heaven? Are you ready? You have to be as good as God is. What? And how many of you are going to go to heaven now? I knew you'd raise your hand. I knew you would. And you know what? You're right. Because God set it up so that you can be positionally just as good as God because Jesus Christ, God's son, literally took your sin. There's a word that we use. And I, if there's anything you guys get to need, just continue to get a handle on it. It's this word. It's impute. Imputation to impute something is to place on one's account now those are you guys sick of hearing this word yet no good because i'm going to keep saying it no matter what so what did you have in your account bill everything that jesus christ says that's right but before that nothing yes you did this is going to we're going to yes thank you thank you okay so let's let's put bill's account are you okay with this this is kind of a laundry list going on here okay okay here we go we're going we got this board and we're going and this is 
Boy, this isn't going to work quite as good. Let's try another marker. This is Bill's. This is Bill's life. And this is Bill's life when he's trying to do it himself. And when did he start trying to do it himself? Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us what? The moment that he was conceived, literally was born into sin, that Adam and Eve was the one that set us into that sin. And until what? If it was just me, I would have done the same thing. You can blame Adam and Eve all you want. Well, then stop sinning. Oh, I can't do that either. Exactly. So you were born in sin. Amen. Along with the, amen. <laughs> we're along with the rest of us, right? Okay. So at that point, literally, Bill has on his account how much righteousness? None. Can we prove that from the why? This is really important. See, if you're talking to somebody, if you're, if you're witnessing to somebody, you've got to be able to know where you're coming from. What does it say? None. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. death. Okay. So it looks like, Bill, unfortunately, right now, according to Ephesians chapter 2, you're dead in sins. Okay? So on the right-hand side of the ledger, you are got that baby filled up with sin. And you got a lot of it. Am I picking on Bill right now? That's okay. It's, his wife said it's okay. So it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Nobody taught me to tell, nobody, nobody taught me to tell my first lie. Very good. It came. It just came right there, didn't it? Yeah. You, don't have, you do not have to teach a baby to be selfish. No. Comes with a package. So sin, I'm sorry to say, Bill, but it's, we could write somewhere in here, but it's sin, 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 etc. sin, sin, sin. Okay? And it got worse. And it got worse. And then it got worstest. <laughs> in fact, this is, you know, but this is important. Do you know why we know Bill is a sinner? Because we all are. Missed it. Go ahead. He's a person. Okay, okay. But you guys are missing it. What is Jesus talking about? We're talking about the relationship between Jesus and the... Jesus and the chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 17 through 20, is talking about Jesus and the law. There we go. If we didn't have a law, Bill wouldn't be a sinner. Oh, let's go lawless. <laughs> no, that's what we're trying to do now, isn't it? Don't have any laws. We can do anything we want to do. But God is actually placed within us. In fact, in chapter 2 of, of Romans... It talks about the fact even Gentiles know that there's a difference between wrong and right. He's placed that within us. There's a, there's a conscience that we can see. I don't want to get down that trail too far. But anyway, sin became sin because of the law. Bill knows he's a sinner because of the law. That's why we want to get rid of the Ten Commandments. We want to get rid of things that convict us and are not true truth. That's what America's trying to do right now. Right. We don't even want laws. We don't want policemen. Do you, do you, does this not make sense relative to what we're talking about that's in the nation today? Yes. Isn't this not right on target? Sorry. Yeah. And it didn't just start now. It's been going on for a very long time. But again, I've got to get back to Bill. Bill's righteousness column? Is, is it? Well, no, no, he's trying, though. I, I don't even know this is right. I've I got to use the example because you're, you're front row material. Okay? <laughs> so you got, so, but, but Bill now, before, before he knows Jesus... He may have some sense of sin, but he's probably saying, but you know what? what was, did you have a neighbor? What was, his, what was your neighbor's name? Bob. Bob. So Bob, uh, Bill says, you know, Bob's quite a bit worse than I am. So my sin isn't as bad as Bob's. And you probably said, what? I go to church, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you got that going on. And you probably went more than Bob. Yeah. Absolutely. What else did you do that Bob didn't do? Oh, I helped the little ladies across the street. There you go. You helped people, see? You helped. You see where I'm going? I'm, you, you, we, we can make a big, long list on, on Bill's supposed righteousness list. And then the Bible says, it's all his filthy rags. So this column now is a filthy rag column. 
Why? Because it's self-righteous, which would make you the righteousness of who? The Pharisees. Bummer. So you know what? what what's what this telling us? If your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, which is we could make that list, you're not going to heaven. This is looking slim and dim, isn't it? But this is where the imputation comes to place. Now, Jesus is, if we were going to do the same cross-section, on Jesus's ledger, on the left hand, we better do that. I, I want to, because this is important. Oh, can I have this? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know what I did with that eraser. Mimi cleaned it up once, and we'll just want to work with it. Now, let's draw, let's draw Jesus's account, okay? What's he got on this inside? Zero. In fact, it's empty. It is plumb empty because he is sinless. He's God. On the left side, what's he got going on over here? Righteousness. And as much righteousness as you could even possibly imagine. Righteousness. Now what Bill needs, just imagine that his, his ledger's up there. It's totally opposite of, of Jesus's. Bill needs an infusion. He actually needs another word. It's called imputation. And literally up here, if you remember where, where Bill's sin list was, guess what? Bill imputed that to Jesus's account, and Jesus now has Bill's sin. But it's better than that. When Jesus died, was crucified on the cross, he took Bill's sin, the penalty thereof, and he did something remarkable. When Bill finally came to the foot of that cross and said, you know what? I cannot do this by myself. I have nothing to offer but myself, and that's not good enough. I need to literally receive the gift, the imputed righteousness from my Savior. And Jesus' righteousness then is on Bill's righteousness, but position when he accepted Christ, guess what happened to Bill's sin? It left. It went to Jesus's, and he paid for it, and it's paid in full. That's called justification. That, my friends, is how you get to heaven. If you did not get righteousness imputed to your... I'm using the word ledger. I'm okay with that. If you did not get or do not get Jesus's righteousness imputed to your account, you cannot go to heaven. Because God's entrance, his standard is complete, perfect holiness. Now you say, wait a minute, I'm not perfectly holy. I still sin. Jesus paid for those too. This is really big right here. When self is extinguished, John the Baptist said it so good. He said this, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That's how we should live life in our, in our sanctified walk. Continue to press towards enhancing Jesus and minimizing ourself, that self. Imputation. Let's look at some verses in regards to this. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Actually, chapter 3. Let's start. Let's go to Romans for a second. Romans, how are we doing for time? Somebody's going to have to check in on me. Looks like it's still daylight out there, so we're in good shape. 
Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 3. Some of you weren't thinking that was very funny. We'll try to work through that. Romans chapter 3. Let's start at verse 21. Verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Turn with me to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Starting in verse 3, he gives an example. He uses Abraham. Verse 3, chapter 4. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Or you could use the word impute it unto righteousness. Let's keep going. Not to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, that's the vehicle of imputation, is faith. When Bill trusted Christ, then the imputation of moving his sin to Jesus' account and Jesus' righteousness to Bill's account takes place on the vehicle of faith. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. Was it because of his circumcision? Is that when he became righteous? No. In fact, Paul talks about, Paul talks about it in the Romans. His sense of righteousness when he believed God. And it's the same for us. Let's keep going. The law, uh, chapter, let's see, where were we at? We were in verse... But look at verse 8. Same chapter, verse 4. Chapter 4. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Chapter 5, verse 17. Just turn over to chapter 5 for a moment. Chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, now it's speaking of Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the, I want you to say it, and of the gift, gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one. See, it's the gift of righteousness. Chapter 21, I'm sorry, look, look at verse 21, chapter 5. You need, to, you need to memorize this verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at this in Romans chapter 10. Turn over. This is a regards to the Jewish people. Romans chapter 10, and let's start in verse 1. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Have you, have you known people like that? They got a zeal, but they don't understand what the zeal is for. Oh man, our nation's full. Look at verse 3 though. Look at this one. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Let's read that again. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Does that not sound like a Pharisee? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's the perfect picture of a Pharisee. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's go back to chapter 4 for just a second. Chapter 4 of Romans, verses 22 through 24. <clears throat> 
we should start in verse 20. Let's start verse 20. Romans chapter 4 is talking about Abraham. He, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, what was that promise? What was the promise that he didn't stagger at? His son, Isaac. Uh, he was tripping a little bit, though, wasn't he? <laughs> After you've waited 25 years, how would you say for your first kid? And God said, I'm going to give you everything through this son, through this Isaac. Would you wait 25 years and wonder if it's going to happen? After 25 years, I don't want any more kids, right? I'm glad we started when we did because our last one just about killed us. <laughs> he didn't sleep ever. Okay? He just didn't. He's not even here to defend himself, right? At any rate, at any rate, here we go. It says this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, watch now, it was imputed to him for righteousness. How did the righteousness be imputed? Through what? Faith. That's how it happens. And now, see, that's why when you go to, is it Genesis chapter uh, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there where Abram was asked to take his only son, Isaac, and, go, and to sacrifice him. And we sit there and we were just in total wonder and bewilderment. How could a father go three days, take his son, pack up the wood, no sacrifice, and his son, probably early teenager, says, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire, but don't we usually have a sacrifice with us? Oh my goodness, right? And Dad says, God will provide. Where did he get that from? From believing him sending the son in the first place because God said it would be coming through Isaac that all of these promises would come. So literally, you know what he did with that? He said, God, if you want me to sacrifice Isaac, I'm here to do whatever you want me to do because I'm trusting that you're going to have to fulfill your promises that you said you were going to do. So he, knew, you see he knew he was going to give him something else. No matter what he knew, it was God's responsibility to fulfill what he had promised. And he even believed, if you go to Hebrews, it says that he believed that he would raise him from the dead. No matter what, it was God's responsibility to fulfill his promise. That's where we need to get. And you say, well, I don't know if I can ever get that. Yes, it's always possible because God takes you at levels. If God would have started with the Isaac test before, like 20 years earlier, well, you say, well, you don't have Isaac then. Can you imagine anything? He couldn't have survived that one. Why? Because he wasn't ready. Faith is something that builds and grows. That moment of trust when you trust Jesus Christ with your life because you have no way to do it. The law condemns you and there's no life in the law and you cannot be justified by the law and you trust Jesus Christ with your sins. That's the beginning of faith. And then as you start to see God working in your life and you start to see how he takes you moment by moment by moment by moment, your faith grows because that's the way God does it. Is it truly that late? Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Oh, I got another verse. Let's go to a couple more verses. Let's keep going. We've got to get done today, though, don't we? My wife is laughing back there. Yeah. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. Um, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll try, to, we'll try to move on here to a little higher rate of speed. You know, the really weird part was I said, God, I don't think I have enough material today. Isn't it amazing how he can stretch stuff out? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 says, But of him, 
are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Isn't that beautiful? That all comes through Jesus Christ. And here's another verse I want you guys to memorize. If you haven't, you might have. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is the imputation on steroids, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This verse you need to know. This one you need to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him, in other words, for God hath made Jesus Christ to be sin for us. Remember what we had when we had Bill's line up here? Had the sin? He made, he, God made Bill's sin and my sin and your sin and every other buddy's sin. He made those sin. Watch now. Let's, let's put it in context. He made, he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That verse is so full of meaning. So full and rich in meaning. That verse there spells everything you need to know about salvation and imputation. That is so rich for us today. If you don't have that one, get it. <laughs> get it. All right. Uh, let's see. I can, we can speed up here a minute. Let's, let's, look, at a, let's look at a prime example of a Pharisee. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want you to, a self-described Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 4. Oh, how come I can't find Philippians now? There we go, it's coming. Philippians chapter 3, and let's look at verses chapter 3, and we'll start. Now, we're going to have to start earlier than that. We're going to have to uh, start in verse 4. There we go, verse 4. Philippians 3, 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Paul is going to give you some of his own personal Characteristic. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Did you see that? Uh, Paul was literally a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own, did you see it? Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Oh, those are pregnant with meaning, those verses. Showing us who Paul was. And by the way, was Paul sincere when he was a Pharisee? Oh my goodness, when he was persecuting the church and he was ripping Christians away off and tearing their heads off and torturing them and maiming them, did you think he was sincere? He thought he was doing God's work. How many people are doing God's work? I think they're doing God's work today that are literally an enemy of God. Plenty. On that road to Damascus, and when Jesus said to Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? Brand new man. Brand new man. You see, it wasn't until Paul said, what, what, where would you say Paul was in the sense of pride right now in those verses as he was living the life of a Pharisee? He didn't need no Jesus. He didn't need no Messiah. He was Paul the Pharisee. 
And if you're trying to do it yourself, you will woefully fail. You must respond to God's standard. You don't set the price. God does. You have to enter on God's terms or you stay out. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Now, there's one more verse, which, uh, I, again, I want you to continue to... Let's go to Romans chapter 8. This was a chapter that we went through some time back. But I want you to see how key it is for us in our walk that righteousness literally is fulfilled in us. Chapter 8 of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the right, watch this, but the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, how? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Literally, you are dead to the law. You are dead to sin. It's like I used that example maybe a couple weeks ago. It's a little bit vivid, but at the same time. So let's say that you have died, and you're in the casket, and you're in the hearse. And the driver is late for your funeral. So he's driving quickly, too quickly. He's pulled over by a policeman. Who gets the ticket, you or the driver? That's exactly what happened when Jesus Christ died for your sin. You are dead to the law. There is no ticket. You are made free from the law. That's great news. And Jesus came not only to fulfill the law, he came to literally give you the life that the law could not give you. And we need to say, praise be to our God. May he receive our glory and our honor. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Jesus Christ spelling this out to that group, that crowd on the side of, as he was seated on the side of that mountain, speaking to many thousands of people on that day, blowing their mind with the antithesis of what the Pharisees would have taught and preached. But it says that Jesus didn't speak from authority. He spoke with authority because he was God's son. He was the very God. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, thank you for the message that Jesus gave that day, that which we can ring from the loudest rafters even today. Father, I would ask that we continue to get a grip on how powerful a sacrifice Jesus accomplished. Father, we just pray that you would have all of us, in whatever ways that we are holding out, we could be fully and completely instruments of yourself. Father, these men and women will be going places that they probably don't even know. I would ask, Father, that you would guide them, direct them, hold them, protect them, give them wisdom. And, Father, also give them righteousness. It is the gift that comes through trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, we lean upon you in every aspect, knowing that you receive the glory because it's for our good. Thank you for what the Word has given us today. We trust you. We praise you. We lift your name up on high. In Christ's name, amen.